do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You'll be listening to an interview with Ian, where we talk about land ownership and land ownership transition. The way that land ownership transitions is absolutely key to the future of agriculture and thus the planet. Done well, it could give the next generation of regenerative farmers access to land under the circumstances which pushes them to be even more regenerative. But done wrong, it could force the next generation of farmers to destroy even more soil against their will. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered. I'm Koen van Seyen, your host, and today I'm talking to Ian McSweeney, the director of the Agrarian Trust. The Agrarian Trust's mission is to support land access for the next generation of farmers, supporting all stakeholders, from farmers and community members to activists and investors, in this absolutely key process. This last bit I added myself. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Kuhn. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to our conversation. And to start that conversation with a personal question, what brings you to the Agrarian Trust? What brings you to soil and food and, and dedicating your career basically to that? Yeah, I have always had a real desire uh, to work with and help people uh, through their life journey. And, and that early on um, manifest in me working as social worker and, and helping people kind of solve life's problems and manage uh, their t- kind of struggles. So I did that for a number of years, but but I, I kind of didn't see the long-term impact and connection that I was hoping for uh, and the people I was working with and, and really have personally always been connected to land and food myself and have uh, strong childhood memories um, and now have young children myself, and I'm raising them connected to the land. So, so really saw the connection people have to land uh, for one reason or another, memories, uh, direct connection in their work with land. So really thought that how can I work with people in their life journey uh, as it relates to land? And so left uh, social work 
got into real estate and planning and did that for a number of years, founded a real estate company that connected uh, development in a way that was sensitive and prioritized agriculture and community building. Uh, So worked doing that, uh, did a number of kind of planned community projects that conserved land, brought about uh, active agriculture and built community. And in doing that uh, and running that uh, business, uh, opportunity came up to run a private foundation, the Russell Foundation. So I, I transitioned into the world of philanthropy and operated the Russell Foundation for a dozen years. Uh, Russell Foundation's focus was land conservation in general with a priority towards agriculture and people's connection to food and farmland. So so that kind of allowed me to really uh, live into that work and, and explore ways that I could innovate what existed around farmland conservation work and kind of community engagement with agriculture. Um, so that's been where I've been the last dozen years, and, and it's given me a great foundation uh, of work, experience, and networking with others, and kind of a, many kind of different types of land-based projects. Uh, so from that, I, I was able to kind of build upon that work and uh, move into present work leading Agrarian Trust, uh, which is a newer agricultural-focused national land trust that we can talk more about, but agrarian trust focus is really to innovate how we hold land and how we uh, bring together people and money to make that possible, all to address the transfer of land that's going on presently in this country. To just give a bit of context, how much, because you know, on your website you, you stated immediately, it's predicted that 400 million acres of U.S. farmland will change hands in the next two decades. That sounds like a lot, but just to put it in context, what is the percentage of, why is it such an important issue at the moment, why we should all, and hopefully all the impact investors that are, are listening, care about the, the land changing hands over the next decades? Why is it key to to many of the issues that you've been working on for for life? Yeah, so that is a lot of land. The average age of a farmland owner in the States is a little over 65 years old. It sounds like pension age. So because of that, a, a lot of people are needing to or being forced to transfer farmland they've owned for generations. So that 400 million acres is more acreage than all the national parks and other federally owned land in this country. So, you know, our work as a nation here to build uh, a collective national parks for uh, common benefit and and kind of a, a great pride that our country has has happened over over quite a bit of time. And we've built upon that and continue to build upon that. But we're now faced with a situation where more acreage than than we have accumulated in in public trust through federal and private and state ownership in parkland is going to transfer uh, in the farmland. So that's significant amount of farmland uh, that is transferring now. And really, it's 
different parts of the country have different uh, drivers for why that land is transferring. Um, a lot of it is falling out of uh, small-scale, family-run, food-producing farms that are focused on soil, ecosystem, and community health. Uh, so, so that is being lost at a significant rate as land is farmland is being converted for development, for uh, other extractive uses. Uh, it's being bought up and aggregated by larger um, agricultural uh, companies and, and investment houses. Um, so, you know, and then run more as commodity agriculture. Land is also going fallow as well in certain parts as, as certain parts of our country are depopulated of people, as much of that can be attributed to kind of urban um, job opportunities and uh, pulling people out of country and lack of agricultural and land-based opportunities in rural parts of the country. But as places get depopulated, uh, land is also going fallow as well. So there's there's a lot of factors that are are kind of moving this transition uh, away from sustainable and regenerative small scale food production agriculture, right? and it's significant. So we, we need mu multiple tools to really address it. And and what are a few examples of those tools that you just mentioned? What what can we do, or what are things that the Agrarian Trust is is currently working on? I mean, you you became the director. I think two or three months ago, but what, what is what is the most urgent uh, thing you're working on at the moment in this huge transition? I mean, this is so many acres, we can hardly imagine it, but what's the, the first step? Yeah, well, so that in the States, there's really a large uh, community of conservation organizations that have long been protecting natural resources uh, for public benefit. So that's uh, that's come uh, the private movement in conservation organizations coming out of kind of the public work around uh, national parks. Uh, so, so we we have a good and healthy community that is protecting natural resources, but that uh, community, the land trusts, state, federal organizations, and entities doing that work are focused on protection of the land, really not as much on who owns it and how we deal with that transfer of land. That has been left really for private ownership. Um, and, and, and there's a real impulse in the States for private individual property rights and ownership that's driven that. Uh, we at Agrarian Trust see the need for an alternative to that, uh, a, a need to collaborate with the conservation organizations that are protecting the natural resources, but really a, a need to address who owns the land and how it is owned. So we agrarian trust see work of community land trusts who have long worked in the states as well, but they're more focused on uh, social endeavors. Uh, affordable housing would be one. So, so they own... Uh, land for affordable housing and for other social community-based needs, uh, not as much for agriculture, though. 
So, so we see kind of how can we look at the best of what conservation land trusts and organizations and community land trusts and uh, cooperatives and housing do and bring those together in a way that looks at who owns the land, who owns the actual fee interest in the land. So we agrarian trust are setting up uh, entities, localized farm commons entities, uh, 501c2 structure, uh, nonprofit to own land for the benefit of communities. So it, it would partner with existing conservation and community groups uh, to bring about ownership of farmland by these farm commons entities, removing the land from the commodity marketplace and holding the land in a long-term relationship with farmers who will have tenure, 99-year uh, uh, lease and equity arrangements on the land uh, where, where they will have access and, and autonomous control to operate on the ground and agrarian trust through these farm commons entities and other organizations as well who are setting up these farm commons, these 501c2 landholding entities can own this land so they can work as a nonprofit and raise money, both philanthropic dollars and investment dollars in to the farm commons 501c2 entity. And that 501c2 farm commons entity can then own farmland and provide long-term lease out to farmers and other community enterprises. And we really feel that there's a need to address the ownership and how you kind of remove the value from that land. That, that farmland in this country has appreciated quite significantly uh, over the last few decades. So many farms that I work with who may have started in the 1980s, uh, 1990s, have seen their value, the, the farmland, the acre value of their land go up by you know, thousands of percent uh, over time. So they, the appreciation of that farmland is significant and it's created a present value where it is unaffordable uh, for next generation farmers to come on. It's unaffordable to afford that land debt on the revenue of a farm enterprise. So, so we need to find a way to extract the appreciated value of that farmland and bring it into this ownership that, that will remove future sales and uh, remove uh, speculative appreciation of land values and set uh, affordable long-term lease rates for that. So I, I have a lot of questions to unpack there. For, first of all, you mentioned it now as well, like the, the current value of the land, like the current price you pay on the market you know, is no longer connected to what the land sustainably or generally can produce of it in terms of cash flow. And that created a huge disbalance and, and that's why it's so difficult for new generations that are hopefully more regenerative to to get into agriculture right that's one of the main correct and but if that's the case and the prices of these lands and acres are so high how do you 
how do you take them off the market? How do you how are you able to buy them? Are you paying the current prices and thus also maybe helping the market to sustain itself, which is in itself maybe not a good thing? And and if not the current prices, how do you make sure you, you how how are you acquiring this land without paying the the main the, the big price that nobody else can afford at the moment? Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Yeah, so um, a combination of ways. Um, So many farmland in areas where there's high development pressures, there's many of the conservation land trusts that I mentioned who work in a lot of mainly in kind of around urban areas and on the east and west coast of this country uh, is where they're centered. But, But there's a lot of conservation organizations that are their work is to protect land's natural resources, and they do that primarily through acquiring conservation easements on the land. The conservation easements uh, permanently remove the development and extractive uses of that land. Uh, and there's, uh, there, there could always be more conservation land trusts. There could always be more dollars for conservation land trusts to do their work, but there's a robust community of conservation land trusts, and there's a significant amount of federal, state, local, private dollars, philanthropic dollars, to acquire those conservation easements. And, and just to for, for the international audience, uh, how does an easement work in, in, in practice? What's the... Can you give a very simple example from one of the many farms you worked with? Um, who pays who? What does it mean? And and what does it what does it mean for the sector? Sure. Yeah. So so that uh, easements on land are are kind of giving a third party certain rights to that land. So there are many easements that give affirmative rights uh, specifically like a a municipality or a state will have easements on private property to uh, have roads and to maintain roads that in many cases they do not own the land a road sits on they hold an easement across private property to maintain a road Uh, the uh, Power companies do the same thing with their uh, utility lines and connections. So there's easements uh, that give affirmative rights in those ways uh, that have long existed. There's also conservation easements. And what they do is they take the the rights of property. So in this country, uh, private property rights are are held very closely by the individual, and they've long been a priority uh, embedded in our culture. So the private property rights give someone who owns property the right to uh, do a number of things on their property subject to uh, local and state 
zoning regulations. So an individual who owns private property can uh, build homes. They could extract natural resources. They could farm, have uh, forest uh, management. They could have recreation or just enjoy the property. Uh, What a conservation easement does is it removes certain rights. So those rights to build homes, residential homes, the right to build kind of commercial or industrial buildings, the rights to extract soil, uh, oil, gas, minerals, those rights of the property are severed from private ownership. And those rights are then held by some public entity, whether it is uh, federal government, state entities, or these private nonprofits, conservation land trusts. And there's other entities that may hold those rights as well. But these entities will hold the development rights and the extraction rights of property. Uh, and they will permanently hold those. And they pay for them? Yeah, and they'll pay for those. So, And they'll hold those. To, to the farmer or to the owner, basically. To the owner, right. So they're, they're holding those permanently. So they're permanently extracting that ability of the private owner to exercise those rights on the property. And so in that process, when that entity acquires those rights in the conservation easement, there is a third-party appraisal done that looks at the value of the property with all the rights that exist and the value of the property without those rights. So, so what is the value of a, a parcel of land if it can no longer be developed for housing or commercial uses and it can no longer uh, extract natural resources from it? It's a much lower value. And so, for example, in urban areas uh, that have significant development pressure on the kind of rural outskirts around those urban areas, um, so the Northeast, for example, where you're close to Boston, New York, um, and kind of the whole Northeast corridor there, that the conservation easement value is is between kind of 60 and 80 percent of the total value of the raw land. Wow. So, you know, in urban areas uh, in the middle of the country and then really the east and west coast of the country here, um, that if if this work is done in partnership with a conservation land trust or other conservation organization where they acquire the conservation easement and they're using a variety of grant and philanthropic funds, they're able to come up with and compensate private landowner for the vast majority of the value of the land through extracting those rights that really the, a, a farmer uh, really never wants to exercise those rights anyways. They're, they're, you know, they're trying to farm in the land. They're not trying to develop the land or sell off the topsoil. So working with conservation organizations is a good way to uh, buy down the value of the land. Um, and it, and then kind of, you know, some landowners uh, simply getting compensated for the conservation easement at that portion of the value of the raw land is enough for them to, to uh, 
be compensated and exit ownership in total um, and, and retire and then retire. Right. And, you know, think back to the the great appreciation of the land. So many longtime farmers, uh, they have seen the land appreciate significantly. So them getting 80 percent of the value of the raw land today is far more than they ever expected to or, or need to retire on. So, you know, they're satisfied receiving those conservation easement proceeds and then uh, donating, or in some cases where there might be a little more money needed, kind of providing a very significant discount sale on on the land to then uh, either next owner, uh, private owner, or or what we agrarian trusts are doing is is then they could donate the land into a nonprofit uh, agrarian trust or or to other nonprofits that are working in that space. And in doing that, uh, landowner has received enough compensation through the conservation easement sale. In donating the land to a nonprofit, there's uh, tax benefits for them that can reduce the tax liability they have on the proceeds of that easement sale and other income. So, so there's financial benefit for them to donate to a nonprofit as well. So, so that can work quite well is to partner with a conservation land trust, uh, help them raise money uh, to purchase the conservation easement. And then that compensates private landowner, private landowner can exit uh, and then land can transfer and next generation um, farmer can come on at a much more affordable uh, access point and because that conservation easement is permanent, you've permanently removed that that value from the land. And by uh, agrarian trust or other nonprofit owning the land, it, it can permanently remove the the remainder value as well. And and then you need to find a young farmer or younger farmer to to farm it in a in a regenerative way because you also mentioned some of these easements. Are, are also forbidden to to extract the soil. So is it easy to find uh, regenerative farmers that want to get on the land and, and are not extractive soil? Is that something you you struggle with or is it really the, the access to land that is the, the main bottleneck here? Well, so the access to land and the access to capital are the main bottlenecks here that that nationally there's a number of surveys that, that come out year after year next generation farmers continually report access to land and access to capital as being the main obstacles that the capital piece in part w- w- would be capital to to secure land uh, but in which in, in your case wouldn't be necessary right yeah that it, you know in in what i'm describing the land access is addressed uh but there still is a fair amount of capital need uh because in in many cases you know that this model can create the transfer of land but it's still there's agriculture transitions uh aging infrastructure need to diversify or grow uh, farm enterprise you know all these different factors lead to capital needed for infrastructure investments business investments you're not taking over a completely new, right? Uh, just build regenerative farm. Obviously. Correct. You're taking yeah. over an older one. And in you know the ideal case, the 
the farm has long been a regenerative farm, so there may be very good soil health and and kind of ecological health that exists, but but the infrastructure is going to be old, or or there's lack of housing, or need to expand markets. So there's other needs for capital there, and that's really where investment dollars can do well. That that yeah, because this was going to be my bridge. So what what do you see? You mentioned locally, I would love to come back, but I will come back to that later, especially as the democratization of impact investing is, is always a huge topic. And I don't think we want to have the situation where this investing in regenerative agriculture is only something that the happy few can do. But let's spark that for a second. And but what do you see the role in general of impact investing dollars, so not the grant dollars um, in this in this transition? Yeah, so so. I really see the role for those impact investing dollars uh, to be focused on investments needed in the land once that ownership transfer has happened. So whether it is investment in soils and ecological health because you know the farmland has been fallow or it's been in conventional monoculture ag that's destroyed and depleted the soils. So, you know, soil and uh, ecological investment is is part of it. Uh, we're, you know, as, as our climate changes, the need to uh, control water is more and more significant. Control water, whether it's secure, sustainable access to water or it's uh, mitigating uh, extreme weather events that have, you know, not enough and then too much water, uh, but but how do you better manage the water that you need? Uh, but there's also kind of the, you know, how do you expand and grow your markets? So, you know, impact investing dollars to focus on the farm business itself and give them, whether it's uh, market expansion or diversification, whether it's building and infrastructure needs. Uh, there's a variety of financial needs that a farm will have um, once they are on the land for those dollars. Uh, a, a great example would be that our dairy industry in this country uh, and you know elsewhere is, is really struggling. In many other, other countries as well, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of dairy farms that that have significant infrastructure that is uh, now, you know, those farms go under, they close, uh, transition might be possible of the land and the way I describe, but then you, you have this huge amount of infrastructure and equipment that, that may have little value for a diversified regenerative food production farm. So, you know, how do you repurpose some infrastructure? A lot of times you really need to uh, construct new, uh, but it's on the business side that investment dollars would really be the most helpful. Um, and, and do you see, just to put my investor hat on, are these um, new, like let's say the new generations of agrarians that are entering uh, these lands so the land is secured by by the trust hopefully local um, plus the easement is in place or is not no longer in place and so do you see that they are uh, investment ready is is there as um, is that different than for instance a few generations before where you see like the, the languages of a farmer and an investor were so different that they hardly ever met 
is the new generation um, more ready to take on investment capital? Some are. Uh, there's there's a fair amount. Or there's work to do for you as well. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of work to do there. There are a number of uh, really good uh, agricultural universities, farm incubator programs, farm start uh, and readiness programs that are really giving many next generation farmers the skills, experience, and literacy they need to run a successful business and be uh, kind of investment ready. But there's they're nowhere near meeting the need that exists. So there's a lot of farmers that that are not yet investment ready. Uh, but there, yeah, there are some that are uh, kind of capable and ready of launching given the right financial investment. And, and do you see that the investors are Let's say investor ready to to deal with um, with farm investments or farmer investments, as it's very different from what some may are used to if you are coming from from the west coast and, and are used to uh, let's say technology Instagram uh, investments. Do you see that also there? There's an education uh, part or an investor ready program needed. Yeah, there's 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 some investors that are really uh, leading the way with this and doing a great job, but there's there's a great deal of education needed. That you know, farming is a high risk, low return business. Uh, our weather and our the value and monetary kind of assets that we're willing as a culture and as individuals willing to place into uh, local food production is very small. So, you know, there's investors need to be comfortable with higher risk, whether it be the weather, uh, whether it be a variety of reasons for crop failure um, and also lower returns that that many there's many farm products that are grown or raised have very slim margin profit margins on them. And and it's just there's. There's no way to truly generate the returns that many investors would like for these higher risk farm investments, given our relationship to food and how we value food. Um, that is, yeah, the you know, agriculture, small scale regenerative agriculture in this country, uh, just is working on very slim margins. And you're you're hinting to a potential solution there, but what what would be what would be some of the potential um, solutions? Not that we have to start doing double digit returns, etc. But what would be potential solutions for that that huge challenge? Because it it holds up a lot of money that doesn't dare to get into the space because of this perceived and real risk, and also because of the 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 returns. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So part of it, I believe, is that, um, you know, great wealth has been accumulated in this country through extractive industries and extractive industries that have extracted uh, natural resources and soil health and exploitive industries that have exploited human labor and dignity and community health. So we collectively need to uh, realize that that the return the investment returns we're used to and the wealth that many of us are have and, and have grown accustomed to is based upon extraction 
and exploitation in many ways. And, and really, if we're talking about regenerative agriculture that depends upon healthy soil and healthy ecosystem and a resilient and healthy community, we need to be comfortable to invest money uh, that has a negative rate of return. We need to return wealth into the soil and the ecosystem and communities that that we've extracted from for too long. So that's a you know a cultural shift that is needed on one hand. A, a, another reality that I think is important is to measure returns not just in the financial rate of return, but in in social benefits and ecological and environmental benefits that come with those investments. So, you know, the, a lower or a zero or negative rate of return where, where we're able to improve uh, soil health, say, and sequester carbon. We need to find a way to either attach monetary value to that carbon sequestration in a way that creates robust markets that can generate revenue or, you know, personally find satisfaction in in investing in soil health that sequesters carbon. And, you know, there's many other kind of markers that we need to look at beyond carbon sequestration, but that's just one example. But but we need to look at ways that, that are rebuilding what we've uh, extracted and exploited. And they're complete, completely agreed. And I think there, there there's a case to make for paying more for food if you're able. And But that's, of course, that, that comes into the, the personal choices in the kitchen. And do you see that there is, um, I wouldn't say exponential improvement, but that the, the regenerative farms are, are improving in a sense and are getting better as they are restoring soil, like that there is a, um, a mechanism working there that, that it does, the margins maybe get better or the amount of biomass created or the amount of different products so that it, it's not a downward spiral, but maybe it's very slow. Uh, upward spiral maybe so technology is getting better do you see improvements there or are we at the same place we were maybe five or ten years ago in terms of regen ag yeah yeah huge improvements there that you know the kind of where we sit now the the general interest and awareness and engagement and discussion around regenerative ag and those involved in that uh that's huge growth kind of in that aspect of things i I, I also, so with Agrarian Trust, many of the initial farms that we're working with now, we're, we're focusing on these legacy farms. We're defining legacy farms as, as these farmers that started in the you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, so decades ago, uh, and we're focused on regenerative ag then. So, so are working with kind of the the oldest organic regenerative farm in in Tennessee, for example, and 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 other states around the country, but but the the soil health and and the systems they've set up there over decades of uh, practice of an investment in the soil, their their yields and their uh, kind of resilience to weather events to uh, pest infestations is is significant there that that they're you know they're they're decades ahead uh, of other farms in in kind of their 
production levels there. And, and so they, it's, it's very interesting to talk to these farmers and to then observe uh, their operations, but they're, in, they're able to produce so much more with, with much less labor and time and much lower risk than similar regenerative agriculture farms that have started in the last five years, say that, that just the, you know, the health of the ecosystem and the soils they've created there really is a great risk mitigator. And, and do you see that as one of your roles to get that knowledge, to unlock, let's say, that knowledge from, from the, the, the people that have been doing this for decades and uh, with trial and error got to a really high level? Do, do you see unlocking that knowledge and get that to the next gen uh, group that's now getting on the land and hopefully maybe not taking decades, but a decade to get to that level? Is, is it something you're you're focusing on? I cannot imagine not. Yeah, yeah, we're completely focusing on that. So agrarian trusts are part of our mission is to support it, land access for next generation farmers. Uh, so we could go about that by engaging these next generation farmers and just helping them get on land, any land, you, you know, that's close to them or that's that's available or we have the opportunity for, but, but we, we feel it, it's a, a waste of everyone's resources to help a next generation farmer get onto land that is, you know, degraded or fallow or lacks many of these things while these older generation legacy farms, uh, close and, and just fall back into no production and no active farming on the ground and soon are, are retaken by nature that, you know, we feel that connecting the transfer of land from these legacy farms to appropriate next generation farmers who are a good fit is is really a way on the land side to give those next generation farmers uh, decades worth of head start in doing what they're doing. And it's a way for the exiting farmer to create a legacy. Which he or she probably is really looking for. They're not looking to sell to the next project developer that, that knocks on their farm door. It, exactly. So helping them create that legacy also is a great motivator uh, to help them, you know, uh, donate their land after they sell a conservation easement, say that they're more willing to forgo some of the profits that they might see if they sold to developer. If if that transfer from them and the donation to nonprofit is creating a legacy upon which they had started. So that's, you know, a great kind of transfer of the land and gives those next generation farmers a head start. Uh, we also feel a, and are working now. So in that transfer of land that I've described, it allows, you know, the, the older generation legacy farmer to exit. Uh, but, but a lot of times that's, you know, it, people still desire a life purpose and, and want to be involved. And just because they want to exit the being the primary farmer and owner of and, you know, holding the risk and, and the management of the whole, they, they still want to be involved. And, and, and they have such great uh, knowledge of that land and, and of the community they're involved in. And, and so, you know, how do we in that transfer process, not only transfer land and the farm organism, 
but but how do we transfer that that knowledge and and the human relationships and and health so finding ways for the exiting farmer to stay on uh holding say a life estate where they're still going to live in a house on the farm and be part of but no longer the farmer or allowing them to stay on as kind of a, a a consultant to to convey their knowledge and experience to the next generation farmer uh, is so important for for all sides so it's the transition of land but it's also the transition of of humans and and the knowledge and and health of all no, absolutely agreed and so let's have a look at the democratization part because you've mentioned a number of times the local farm commons in this case let's look at the local um, how do you get the local community that might not be accredited investor that might not have millions in the bank to to invest in infrastructure on, on an amazing regenerative farm how, how do you get uh, retail investors like like myself in, involved in something like this well, so through the foundation I ran, I, I've done a couple of these type of projects that have, we're talking about now. And, and so what we at Agrarian Trust are doing is building upon and expanding that work. So uh, what I've done to date uh, to, to kind of provide opportunity for all in the community to become investor and not just right, the accredited investors is is through a, a couple of methods. So, so one is, is through, um, there's, there's different, uh, community kind of crowdsource fundraising platforms. Uh, like we funder is one of them in the States that, that is licensed crowdsource investment model that's available for everyone to invest uh, similar to like a Kiva uh, Zip and and their loan program, but but this allows for larger investments and investments in the land. So so that's one uh, kind of through crowdsource investment. Uh, another that I've utilized is partnering with uh, community banks that that can you know be the intermediary and and take in uh, investments from any number of people at whatever the minimum that we want to set for the project is. And then they can aggregate those total investments uh, and, and then kind of, you know, with a friendly community bank or community loan fund or, or other there, you know, there's some mission alignment there. So they're, they're willing in many cases to uh, manage that, uh, kind of portfolio of community investors at a low uh, management fee. So passing on favorable terms to the farmer who gets a you know single loan at the end. So, so that's another way is kind of aggregated through community banks, community loan funds uh, and others. Uh, so that, that's also a way to do it. We at Agrarian Trust are, are going to do both of those uh, models uh, and so work with both kind of larger social lending institutions and smaller localized community loan funds who can aggregate dollars. Uh, we're also kind of setting up uh, a structure where we will be able to offer out investment opportunities directly through 
uh, agrarian trusts and these 501c2 farm commons entities uh, where, where we will be licensed to, to provide uh, investment opportunities out for investors of all types uh, to invest directly in these farm commons entities. And, and then at some point you can aggregate and make less of a risk, obviously, for individual ones, like you mentioned before. There, It is a risky business um, to, to get access to that. That would be very interesting, as, as always, in these huge transitions, like you see in energy and, and in food, it's very difficult for local, normal people with not a huge wallet to, to get into these things. And it almost happens to us instead of us being part of it, of course, as a customer and maybe working on the farms. Um, but but not as uh, we're, we're often not able to vote with our, our dollars or euros. Right. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and so part of the goal with the farm commons is, too, that, you know, the, these localized farm commons would own the farms and the farms would be come into ownership through that kind of partnership with the conservation land trusts and philanthropic dollars. So farm commons would have a significant uh, asset base in the farms they own that could help kind of mitigate risk of investment dollars in that are focused on the farm businesses. And and how strict are you on, uh, let's say, soil building? Is that uh, really built into these commons as, as a main prerequisite of, of farmers to get long-term leases? Are you measuring that? Are you punishing people or farmers if they're not building enough soil? How, how strict are you on, on the soil part? Yeah, so, so that's, that is our focus in, in kind of back to conservation land trusts, community land trusts. They're, they're, they're not as focused on soil health or at all focused on soil health. They also are not focused on farming practices. So the type of farming, they just kind of allow agriculture, any type of agriculture. So we agrarian trust uh, feel that it is critical and, and feel there's a real need and opportunity not being met to uh, focus on soil health, to focus on regenerative farming practices, whether it's uh, kind of beyond organic, biodynamic, natural farming practices uh, coupled with soil health. So, so we, we require uh, those aspects uh so so we are um we we as we take ownership we, we are creating a kind of a baseline status for the health of the soil for the uh, the status and health of the ecosystem the water quality that exists and then uh we we will uh kind of create some type of uh, punishment mechanism if there's violations to that, but but the primary structure will be to incentivize uh, farmers through uh, lowering the lease costs and through some shared uh, collaboration and investment in ecosystem health uh, by agrarian trust. So so if if they're improving the soil health from the baseline upon. Uh, that was taken when when we agrarian trust take ownership of, they will be uh, farmers will benefit from 
reduction in their lease rates, uh, in, in shared uh, investment from agrarian trust in, in the farm business itself. So, so we're, we're hoping that through kind of carrot instead of the stick, <laughs> you, you get a better relationship. Yeah. Pun, I mean, agricultural pun definitely intended. <laughs> and, and to clo close it off, because I want to be conscious of, of our time as well, as we're approaching the hour already, I think we can, we can spend at least another one talking about uh, this in the details. What would be your advice, obviously not investment advice, but your advice to, let's imagine there's a room full or a theater full of smart impact investors that are understanding soil and getting understand the issues around it, but are, are ready and eager to get into the space, what would be your, your advice? Well, uh, so, so part of my advice would be, uh, look for, uh, agricultural projects that are at a scale that's going to be meaningful. Um, and, and that are things that are, uh, relevant to local communities and to kind of the, the food culture that exists. So, you know, to, to focus on, uh, projects that acreage is too small or are single one-off projects is, won't have the leverage needed, won't be a replicable model that others can adopt. Uh, also projects that are kind of isolated, not connected to community, not connected to food sheds that exist won't really have the broader awareness that comes. So to sort of think where, where investment dollars could matter the most, you know, at a scale somewhere connected to communities uh, and kind of food systems that are in great need. Uh, so that's part of the reason that we Agrarian Trust are focusing some of our initial work in, uh, Appalachia, um, that that part of the country has a little bit larger acreage than the Northeast, uh, and not the, uh, size of farmland acreage that the Midwest of this country has. So, so we feel very trust that we can really make a difference in Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, that region by um, focusing on our model and bringing about regenerative agriculture uh, in a way that creates soil and ecosystem health where, you know, where there's these farms that exist that are at the right size and have some connection to food sheds and communities uh, that, that really still value and depend upon local food production. So the, the new generation doesn't have to, has to invent everything themselves and, and take three decades to get to that level. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's a great advice. I want to thank you, Ian, for, for your time this morning. And uh, I will definitely be checking in. I mean, congratulations to, to the director role that you took a few months ago. And, and uh, let's say in a year or so to, to see some exciting projects to, to, I mean, many things uh, will be moving, I think, in the next 12 months. If, you, if I look 12 months ago compared to now, the excitement around um, soil and regenerative agriculture is, is only growing. So let, let's check in and see what you've been busy with um, then. And thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. It was great to talk. And yeah, I'd love to check in a year or so.
You listened to an interview with Ian McSween. I hope you enjoyed learning more about land access and the role of capital, both grants and investment capital in this historic transition. Thank you for making the time to listen to this podcast and making it all the way till the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.